listening to the Food Talk Show. Hi there, my name is Sue Nelson and for the next 30 minutes or so we're going to be talking about all things food. I'm joined by my fellow presenter Ollie Lloyd of Great British Chefs. Hi there Ollie. Hi, how are you doing? I'm fine. We were just talking about breakfast, what we had for breakfast this morning and I had you know, a British, proper British breakfast, in my view, which was right. bacon, tomato, bagel, you know, with a, with a coffee. Well, it's not, some, maybe not, but like, bagel, yes. what did you have? I had a mango and some, uh, I had a mar- marmite on toast as well, that was the second Oh, okay, you didn't say that, but you had a mango. Yeah, but I had a mango. But you're, um, so you, I was saying you live in this parallel universe that nobody else lives in, that lives in Britain. Because you, you're sort of, you're a little bit exotic. No, but the things that there's seasonality still, isn't there? So mangoes are at their best now, kind of about now, yeah. So it's it's so we always you know go to various shops and pick up you know boxes of mangoes. So I bought a box of mangoes. Boxes. boxes. How many is in a box then? So the one we bought yesterday had four, but the ones I really like have about eight. The right. kids try and eat all of them. The problem I, I love mangoes, but the problem I have is they're not always ripe, which really annoys no. me. And that's probably because they're not in season, but possibly. Yep. But when they are ripe, they are delicious. But like, how do you eat them? Because they have that very flat, weird stone in the middle. Uh, that's quite the best difficult. bit. The fight, the, fight, the fight's always about who gets the stone. What? Yeah, so that's the best <laughs> bit. The bit you really want is you want to pick up the stone, you want to chew the stone. Um, chew the stone. Yeah, you just suck it. It's got all the flavour in it. That is why, that is, that actually, someone once told me the only way to eat a mango is in the bath. But I have to say, I have never eaten a mango in a bath. A <laughs> mango in the bath. Yeah. It's pretty messy, though, actually. Yeah. I wouldn't like anybody to join me in the bath while I was eating a mango, oh. I have to say. Cause it's there just, you go. Yeah. The, the joy is this is radio. Yeah, thankfully. Um, your, your life is no parallel. We're all actually in the bath. At, at all. We're all in the bath doing this radio show. <laughs> make bath, bath noises. Um, I'm joined by um, Susie Walker from the Primal Pantry, who's nodding her head there. You, you, you're a fan of mangoes too? Yeah, I, I chopped a mango up this morning, actually. Um, my daughter has a mango for breakfast. So I'm, I'm in the mango camp. Would you eat one in the bath? Uh, I, do you know what? That's a really good idea because they are really messy. And I, I, I love the stone. So she gets the, the mango flesh and I um, have you the get... mango stone, which I could try in the bath. Oh, God. I don't even know what Sue to do wants that. to end the show now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also joined by Stephen Dring of Growing Underground. Have you got comments on... Please tell me you don't suck stones. I, I, I rarely eat mangoes and, and I've never eaten one in the bath. So, full disclosure. Um, I need to eat more mangoes. I, I'm going out this afternoon. Mm. I'm just taking some advice from Ollie. So, I'm quite excited by this. They are great with salsa. You know, if you make a salsa, um, our producer Lucy's here and she makes an amazing mango salsa with um, like tomatoes and a little bit of chilli. Do, do you make that then, Ollie? Do you know, the just thing suck the I stone? don't actually. The thing I actually dream about and I still, I've got to recreate, this is now 18 years ago. I ate a mango curry in Pondicherry on the uh, coast of India, and it was with my sister. And it was one of the most spiritual things I've ever eaten. And I've never eaten a mango curry since, but it was just—it was mind blowing. So, how is food spiritual? What does that? That was just—it was just like you know, you don't eat mango curry. I'd never eaten a mango curry. Um, I had not eaten as widely then as I have today, and it was just like oh, mango curry. We were well, in an Ayurvedic restaurant. They sort of said, "No, you have to eat this." We went, "Okay." 
What, what else is in it? Just, just it's, it's like a regular like curry, a but they're like mango stones in the middle of it. It was amazing. It was. I've got. To, uh, I'll. I'll report back on this. I'll do some further work and come back on this. I have a problem when you you eat something that is just incredible. I remember eating the cheese and ham toasty. <laughs> <laughs> to bring us back to reality quickly. This is the difference in our lives, right? And it was just, it was like perfect. You know, like it was absolutely perfect. It's the right amount of cheese, beautiful ham. It was just, it was just gorgeous. I've spent the last 12 years trying to find another cheese and ham toasty that's as good and I can't. And I, I think I don't ever will because... There's all sorts of things around it that made mm. it good. So you're Where gonna was search. It? Don't <laughs> say it was at Euston Station. <laughs> it was in a cafe run by a really bonkers Italian couple who used to shout at each other all the time right. in the middle of South Manchester. Okay. Not really on the normal, you know, gastronomic tour. But it just I don't know, everything about it was right. And I don't think I'll ever find it again. It was, you know, the problem with your mango curry is maybe you'll never find that again in the rest of your life. You'll be searching but never find it. Well, that's part of the fun, isn't it? Yeah, possibly. <laughs> Constant disappointment. <laughs> yeah, welcome to my world. Yeah, welcome to the world of entrepreneurs. Yeah, huh? let's stop talking about us too, because obviously we're not normal. Um, so, Susie, you're, um, you've got a lovely company called The Primal Pantry. And actually, Ollie is a big fan, aren't you, Ollie? I am. How are you, Ollie? Yeah. Mm. Oh, great. He's a really big fan. Um, just explain what the Primal Pantry is and what, what, what products you have. So we, um, so the Primal Pantry is a, a real food brand. Um, I've got previous experience in the food industry and felt that there was a, a, a sheer lack of food, packaged food products that actually offered consumers something that was made from whole food ingredients. So currently the range consists of a range of energy bars, which are fruit and nut based. Um, and we've just recently launched a range of protein bars, which are um, probably... Well, I say probably they are the, the the most straightforward, cleanest vegan protein bars in the marketplace. Um, so for us, it's all using real whole food, untamed ingredients to make the products. You've got such competition, though. I mean, if you look at Naked and and um, Ella, whatever her name is, deliciously Ella, and the, the, everybody's piling into that market. It's, it's it's pretty crowded. It's got tough. It's it's when we launched in 2014 in the supermarkets, it was pretty much Naked, Eat Natural nine bar um and then last year everyone piled in everyone piled into that space so it has got more it has got more challenging so the key for success is distribution isn't it you've yes. got to get in yes. everywhere that you can yes um and that doesn't mean to say that you'll necessarily be great at your product but you've got to understand about distribution and make sure you're in there haven't exactly, you yeah um that's that's a key part but um Ollie, I know with your Great British Chefs research, on-the-go snacks are, are more and more popular, aren't they? Because people aren't sitting there eating a mango for breakfast like you. Well, yeah, and I think uh, the fact is, is, as you say, there's a massive problem in the sense that the big industries, you know, the, you know, the, the ones that we all know from many, many years ago, are not doing what you're doing. I mean, they are, you know, putting weird stuff in food and therefore there is a clear lack of choice in that. But I think they are beginning to wake up to the problem and I think they are beginning to address it more seriously. And I think if you look at, you know, some of the more forward-thinking large food brands, they are trying to address this. But I think consumers are trying to, you know, they are worried about more and more, I think, and it's more of a mass thing, which is they're worried about what's inside stuff. And they're looking for convenient solutions that don't involve compromise. And I think that's that's the, the space that this is in. But don't you think it's interesting that the, the big brands would leverage their brand power? But actually, I think it'd be very hard for, let's say, Kellogg's to go into that sector or somebody now because everybody was going, I don't really agree with what they do. 
it, you know, and, and, and therefore they may not be an automatic choice anymore like they might have been, maybe. But I, think I know they did go into that to start with, didn't they? Yeah, the and ca- catalogues bars. make breakfast bars and they still do make large <coughs> numbers of them. But I think, you know, in the end they will probably enter this space through acquisition mm. and they will eventually acquire someone in the same way that Coke went into the drink space by acquiring Innocent in, in a different way. And, you know, I think these big brands struggle to innovate and they'll struggle to adopt the sort of, I'm going to call them kitchen food philosophies that you've adopted. And I think that's what's interesting. I mean, I'm interested in, you know, you, you're generating scale nowadays. How hard is it to manage that conflict between scale and principles and, and, and mm. processing? And are you finding, is there a tension there or actually you're just finding ways around that? I think, I mean, it, just, just just your earlier point, you're right, Kellogg's have just acquired someone um, in the US. Yeah, they've acquired a, a very similar product um, in the US um, for a significant amount of money because it's allowed them to enter into this space. Um, because what we do know is these guys, they just can't innovate. Um, they're very good at coming up with extensions of lines, but to bring something new to the market which values the, the, the consumer values that trust and integrity behind it, they can't they can't do it. And are they going to keep this acquired name or are they going to stick Kellogg's all over it? Uh, the, uh, by the looks of it, they're going to keep the acquired name. I think they have to. Yeah. They, they, they have pr- to. They I think they, look, they own a lot of brands. And, uh, yeah. you know, same as you know, Unilever and Procter & Gamble. They all, you know, you, you know, if you've got some of the brands that Unilever own, you kind of go, really? Do they own that? But and that's what they're buying, aren't they? They're they buying the goodwill as well as the innovation, though. Um, in answer to your question, Ollie, I, it, for us it's... We've not found it difficult to 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 scale in the context of scaling and moving away from the values of the product. We've not found that challenging because we make, fortunately, we make a really simple product. Um, you know, cost is a barrier. Um, as we scale up, you know, we we work with manufacturers that have the capacity to allow us to scale, which is great. But because we've got bars that only only have sort of three four ingredients in, we can stick to those values and we can keep it we can keep it pretty simple and and not move away from the heart of what we're trying to create as we scale uh, and when are people eating these bars is, is it a breakfast on the go thing or is it is it all sorts of times of the day it's um it's probably less so breakfast as a meal it's very much on the go so 11 is 11 is afternoon um the protein bars that are used generally during during cycle rides pre and post training so travel we have the bars on airplanes um lots of lots of lots of opportunities offices and what do you think, Ollie, is going through people's heads now then? It's, it's um, you know, I need, I, f- I feel I've got a dip in blood sugar levels or something or, or I'm feeling a bit tired or I had a workout this morning and I haven't eaten properly. Um, people are thinking, right, I need to plug that gap. And instead of having a bar of chocolatey, sugary hit now, they're looking for something different. Is that is that what you yeah, think the I, psychology I, is? I think what's interesting is a lot of the, this sort of world started in the sports world, but I think it's gone way beyond that. And I think what's interesting is is that, you know, Premium athletes understand what their body needs and they understand the nutritional requirements of every day in order to achieve their peak fitness. But actually what's interesting is we've moved way beyond that and actually the relationship between health and people who eat well is becoming closer and closer. And I think there's kind of an increasing overlap between those two worlds where you know, now people are kind of going, actually, I'm not going to eat a Twix or something that is full of sugars and, and, and has no nutritional value. Actually... I'm going to eat something that actually has nutritional value and doesn't isn't packed with sugars. So I think, or, or has natural sugars rather than refined sugars. And I think I think that's where you're starting to see the, the change. Mm. So I think it's on the go hits. And I think people are eating more frequently nowadays 
rather than the set. A big massive three meal. meals a day. Yeah. yeah. Um, Stephen, you look you look fairly trim. Are you a bit of an athlete? Fairly, Just fairly trim. I wouldn't I wouldn't go far as athlete, but no. But, but do you, how do you do? You have these bars at all? I, I have these bars and 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 make sure I exercise. So yeah, it's it's. I find them as a snack after after exercise. Certainly when, when I'm mountain biking, always got these in my bag. So it's just necessary for that kind of energy hit that, that you need and, and and that recovery process as well. Where do you see it going now then, Susie, this sort of market? Because it, it, people are piling in. It's, it's going to be the survival of the fittest, that's for sure. But do you think it'll extend into other areas? I think the um, the healthy snacks market, I mean, we, we're fortunate that we, we sit across very various sectors. So one is healthy snacking. Um, people are looking to move away or they are moving away from traditional confectionery. Um, Sticking your head in a bag of walkers. Yeah, is, is yeah. whether it's crisps, savoury confectionery or sweet conf- or, or, uh, savory yeah. snacking or sweet confectionery, um, the, the confectionery manufacturers are panicking. You know, gone are the days where you could just launch another purple Cadbury's bar onto, onto the fixture. Really? Um, because we are fighting for that space. The retailers have been a bit behind the times um, for them to create. They've got the convenience food to go section of the store, but to actually look, actually create it as a healthy snacking area is only just sort of coming to the forefront now. Yeah, um, that's funny because if you do go into an old fashioned like corner shop, you still see Twix, Kit Kat, Mars. Yes, you still yeah. see all those things. Yeah. I would imagine they're not selling as much as unless they used to. No, possibly. No, they're not. And um, you know, there are some some retailers. Retailers like, well, I say, the co-op that are a little bit more advanced when it comes to, you know, what what do their shoppers actually look for when they come into store, um, and you know, we're sort of on a mission just to get people making a better choice. You know, we're not competing with nuts that you would have at home. You know, we we don't hide from the fact that the ingredients that simple to make yourself. When we sell into petrol stations, which are predominantly um, confectionery fixtures. You know, and they say, "Oh, the drivers that come into the, the station, they, they they want a kick out, they want a Mars bar." And we're, Yorkie we're saying, bar, if yeah. you're a lorry driver, yeah. obviously. Well, and that's what they say. And so we say, "Well, you know, whether we're going for them or not, we're we're, we're going for the people that are coming in and not buying anything because you're not giving them any extra choice." No, no, absolutely. Um, you know, which is we've just launched into all the BP sites with the range because they're, they're seeing it now that people are coming in on the go. They want something to fuel them through, through the day, and they want to make a better choice and still have a product that tastes great. Um, so that there's the idea that people are snacking better. People convenience will always be a key driver. Um, the growth of plant-based diets, vegan living as well. The growth of free-from diets at the same time. The growth of protein. Um, there's there's a lot of changing of behaviour that's taking place now. Um, and hopefully, you know, businesses like like ours are there to to adapt to those changes and, 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 and work with the, cons- the consumer needs. I, I think there's an interesting challenge here, which is I think retailers, whether that's BP or whether that's traditional retailers, are increasingly under pressure because they are perceived to be part of the problem rather than part of the solution. And actually, because of all the issues around sugar, because of all the issues around bad eating in the UK, actually, if you walk into a store and they are seen to be not addressing the problem, then they're going to be seen as irresponsible. Be seen as an yeah. And there's talk about legislation that is t- yeah. specifically going after this at the moment, and rightly so, because so you need to force people to act. So, so in terms of this legislation, um, one of the things that, that politicians are spouting, whether it's true or not, I don't know, whether it's just posturing, um, uh, uh, is, is trying to take away this sort of tempting thing for children, you know, pester power just at the checkout, so, and, and all these sort of sugary things. Do children 
are, are these products being bought for children at the moment? And do you think that, that that's another market where there'll be a crossover where children start to eat these things as because adults are giving it to them? Uh, our particular range are not our, our, our typical consumer is not is not actually a family right. at this stage. Mm-hmm. Um, we did look at a range of kid pro- kids products, and we, you know, we, there's no reason why the products can't be family friendly. Unfortunately, because they contain nuts, they can't be taken into schools careful, yeah. at the same time. Um, but there, in fact, there is a lot of products out there that are not, you know, the, the top one of the top selling kids biscuit is actually an Oreo biscuit. Oh God, you know, there's really? there's, there's a lot of products that are not children's <coughs> products. That, yeah. that, that parents are buying. I was just wondering if there was legislation whether the retailers will keep those things near checkouts but actually replace them with your sort of product, which is a great opportunity, yes. or whether they'll just take them away full stop. Yes, they've put batteries there now and uh, things that are completely useless. Like but bulbs and yeah. things. Yeah, great. Yeah. <laughs> but then there's a big campaign now. You know, you hear it banging on the radio, you know, 100-calorie snacks, two-a-day max. But you can look at 100-calorie snacks that are made by the big manufacturers... The ingredients list are shocking. Mm. Whereas you can give a kid a cube of cheese that's got 100 calories in and it's got two ingredients in. Mm. So, you know, it's very... I mean, the, pe- the the sort of food advice for what parents should and shouldn't be giving to children is, is very, very mis- misleading. Lacks, lacks education completely. Well, it's contradictory. And I yeah, think parents uh, do struggle to yeah. understand what, yeah. what, you know, what the best thing to do is, really. Just be sensible. That's my advice. Yeah, mangoes. 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 But I think that's that, that's one of the interesting things I think about the whole sort of confectionery space is, you know, I've got two small children, they're five and two, and the reality is the joy of unwrapping a sort of a sweet type thing, actually I don't think it really matters much what's inside it. I think that, you know, like Christmas presents really. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, you wrap up a present they already own and they'd be delighted. Um, it's the, it is I'll the bet you do that as well. We, I think my son does it to amuse himself <laughs> just during the, during the regular year. Um, but I think actually that, that whole act, act of unwrapping and something special and it's a treat, that's kind of what they, they're used to. But I think kids are also, you know, if you teach them about eating well, you know, fruits and nuts are delicious. And actually that is one of the big challenges is getting just getting these things into kids' diets. Mm. Well, I'm going to move on now to Steve. Um, um, now, Stephen Dring uh, from Growing Underground, you have the most amazing operation in my personal <laughs> view. Uh, it's incredible. And basically, I was I was born in Clapham, but in the sixties, it was pretty it was pretty dire. Trust me. Um, the high street on a Saturday night is still pretty dire. Is it? Yeah. Oh, it was dire during the day then. <laughs> um, and you have underneath the streets of Clapham underground on the tube stations uh, have, have actually managed to actually um, start a farm really Biz- bizarrely we are growing salads and herbs 120 feet below clapham high street so you've got a tube station so i'm used to you know go down i don't i go down on the steps or or, or, or down the escalator and there's a, there's a platforms and there's like seats and there's a you know there's the rails because obviously quite a lot of rats generally <laughs> how do you how do you take a station and then and then <coughs> turn it into farms so, so well, tell me from day one how that how that works they, they never turned it into lights? a station so any lights oh. no they never turned it into a station so it was a world war ii air raid shelter and it kind of oh. sat there but they had the foresight to say when the war's over we'll turn it into a, a new northern line so there's the stations that go from clapham south all the way through to belsize park and and they never converted it into a northern line so they've sat there empty some are storage facilities so are our tunnel has had 8,000 people down there during the war in terms of an air raid shelter, so you can imagine the size of the place. 
Um, so yeah, we took that. We went downstairs. And is it just? But it's just a tube tunnel, like like we all go on it, every it, day. No, nearly. no, no. It look, it it's it's a circular tunnel, um, yep. but it has a mezzanine floor across the middle to split oh, into two okay. floors. So they have bunk beds upstairs and bunk beds downstairs, and then they never remove that. So we have farm upstairs and all of our amenities downstairs. So and naturally separate. Was there electri- There must have been electricity through there and everything. Electricity, huge ventilation. Obviously, if you've got eight thousand people down there, you need, need to kind breathe. Of, oh, yeah, yep. exactly. It's always good. Um, and so all the plumbing. Uh, amenities to be able to actually it was designed that if both entrances to the tunnel was hit they could survive down there for three months and that's using the toilet etc wow. etc et wow. so um there's but a lot there was a lot of amenities in place to be able to to, to, to turn it into it's a an incredibly sensible place to go then well really effectively what somebody had done a, a they built a polytunnel for us, 120 feet below London. It gives us a constant temperature all year round. We've got an, a, a, basically a, a, an ambient temperature that around 14 degrees. That once we put some LED lights in there uh, to do the growing, uh, then then it just took the uh, temperature up to the required level. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's provided just that perfect kind of spot in central London for and us to grow fresh produce. And so the LED lights, um, um, and they're they're effectively, you know, replicating sunlight to make sure that these, um, you know, these plants are getting anything they would out outside. Yeah, you have the light spectrum from UV to to, to infrared, and you just pick up those areas uh, uh, that the plants require. So we give the plants exactly what they want in terms of. Air movement, CO2, heat, light, humidity, temperature, etc. Et uh, and what about the water? How, how, does, how water, do you water it, them? Thames water, but not from the River Thames, I keep explaining. Thames water. So, yeah. so do you water them normally, like you would normal, you know, just yeah, we, we, along we, with your we, watering we, can? No, 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 no. It has a, it's an ebb and flood system, so we flood the benches. Um, so we sow onto this agricultural matting that acts as our substrate or as our soil. Um, we sow the seeds onto those and then we, we, we flood the benches two, three times a day, depending on the crops. Uh, some slightly less, the, the, the crops that don't, don't want watering so much. Um, and, and then we turn the lights on sort of specific sort of hours for specific products and, and specific crops. Um, and, and it's controlled environment agriculture. It's given the crops exactly what they want. And then we take all of our energy from renewables from a company called Good Energy. Um, and, 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 and just make sure that we power everything sustainably. And then all of the inputs into the farm, we, we count every single input. So alongside our financial accounts, we have our, our carbon accounts as well. Um, and then we're looking to be able to, to, to move towards carbon neutrality, not just as a company, but also for products as well. God, I don't even know what I to say. It's breathtaking, isn't uh, it? As you went through the list of all the things you give your plants, you missed one thing, which I'm hoping you, you're going to put back there, which is music. I'm assuming you play them sort of, you know, beating rock, you know. To or or Mozart. Or Mozart. Every or time I go down into the farm and the production area, obviously the, the guys are down there working all the time. There is, there is some... We we certainly had to ban some kind of music. People were playing their own music, and it was like that is totally inappropriate for, for the plants. Not just other workers, but the, the salad rocket as well was slightly offended. The rocket. I think I have to say, <laughs> if you haven't created a Spotify playlist that the rocket likes, I think it's the missed opportunity. <gasps> oh, of the please decade. go on Spotify. I'll follow yeah, that if yeah. you if you do Can some, we, some. I cannot believe we've missed that trick already. Growing so underground. So if, if any of you want to um, see, so the underground change the tracks. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, it might, might, you might suddenly find. There's lots of weird stuff about how plants react to different music is, yeah. and, and all sorts of stuff. So, so is this is this where, where, is this scalable? I mean, yeah. you said there are lots of these. Yeah. I mean, you set this up back in what 2000 and uh, 2012 was idea. 2014 first fundraise, supplying into food service. 16. And are there other tunnels you could do the same thing in and around London? 
well, if you just imagine underground car parks, um, we we had uh, used to have loads of underground car parks. Then congestion charge came in. Uh, then Uber came in. And now you've got autonomous cars starting to enter the fray. The guys, the landlords of underground car parks, are saying, "How do I monetize this underground space in the future? What do I do with this?" And so there's a there's a load of space in itself straight away. We've also been offered space globally un- yeah. uh, underground, and and that's just. That was just one of the brands that we created. We're, uh, the company, holding company is Zero Carbon Food Limited. We intend to produce food without, with zero impact on the environment. Growing Underground is one of our brands, but as we were talking earlier, there's rooftops, there's, there's peri-urban spaces as well, uh, there's closer to logistics hubs. So there's a, there's a lot of ways that we will be producing food in the future. We, we, we go from that, the big, big, big problems. If you zoom out, it's massive population growth. You look at 67% of world's fresh water is used within agriculture. We need to manage these inputs. We, what, what are we going to do about it? So We've got to have local food as well. I mean, this, this thing about, you know, getting some lettuce on a lorry, yeah. you know, from across three countries so that you can eat it sitting in Islington well, is we've, ridiculous. We've got, we've got a fairly small season in the UK. We've got mm. the UK season. That drifts over to the Spanish season. We probably saw some stuff out, say, Senegal and Africa at some stages. And if it all goes pear-shaped like we've seen a couple of years ago, we're flying iceberg lettuce in from the States. Now, yeah. it's not economically viable. And, and at the same time, it's bloody ridiculous in terms of sustainability. So, yeah, adding a bit of technology. Plus, you chuck in things like the average, average age of a farmer in the UK is 60. It's like, well, we need this next generation yeah. of people to enter, enter agriculture. And it's not adding technology for the sake of it. As I described it earlier, it's kind of high-tech on one hand and Heath Robinson on the other, as sure. agriculture always has been. Well, if you want to see um, what this amazing facility looks like, you need to um, go on growing-underground.com. There's a great video and, and stuff on there, isn't there, Ollie? There it's is. it's, it's there amazing. Is. I think it's one of those things that, you know, you describe it and one can kind of try and paint a picture. But actually, you know, when you see the films, no it's idea. a bit like, oh, my God, this is, you know, it's so far from what, you know, we've all been brought up with the idea of what farming looks like. Mm-hmm. You know, it's... You know, it's you don't so look like a traditional farmer either. You know, it's like actually, I've only got the accent. That's yeah. all. So. <laughs> it's so efficient, though. I, I mean, I think it's that's amazing. the point: is, yeah. is that nothing goes to waste, and you can control every single element as long as you can make it in inverted commas as natural as possible, so that Absolutely. so that so that you know there's there's not shed loads of horrible things going in there which there won't be no, then then you're supplying the local community which is and, surely uh, the point and we're supplying sort of local retailers and, and and starting to move into that big retail market as well and and now looking at sort of second and third sites to expand the business um i think one of the th- main insight things that you see come back from the retailers and especially consumer as well it's about local it's about provenance like you were saying earlier people yeah. people want to buy local if they can don't ma- they massive if they massive can. focus on local if yeah. they can but, yeah. but also also provenance and, and and that's that's a major key. so who are your main customers then you sell you sell locally but you sell to restaurants and stuff as well as, so as through new covent garden market we go out to the food service guys yeah. um and move it through there and then through the retailers um Ocado, marks and spencers waitrose um, Whole Foods, Planet Organic, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, and is that under your own brand or under retailer retailer? That's brand? A, that's under our own growing underground brand. Growing underground. Um, uh, apart from Marks and Spencers, which is under M&S's brand, we pack for those guys. Yeah. Susie, um, listen, you're listening to that. Your eyes are wide open. Did you know about this? No, I didn't. No, I'm really glad. When when I saw that when I signed in, it said someone. It said you said you were from Goo. I <laughs> thought, oh, okay, that's interesting. And then when when we sat down and had a coffee and you took me through it, I'm just in awe. Really, I think it's incredible. Thank you. I think it's incredible, and you know, I think I'd love to come and have a look. Oh, more than welcome. You know, and, and, I think and school kids should come and have a look. You know, it's yeah. it's 
that's, that's, that's the main barrier that we've had at the start. One of our, there's three kind of uh, main areas to our business. It was to be sustainable. It was to be social and, and have, that, to have that, that, that link to the local community and, and to have those dividends, but also have a, di- a dividends and a return for our investors as well because we wanted to show that sustainability was investable mm. and don't go invest in people that count their assets in carbon in the FTSE and actually invest in, in, mm. in people that are actually trying to disrupt things, have impact and, 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 and do things slightly differently. But I think what's interesting about both the brands we're discussing today is these are brands with genuinely interesting stories. You know, and actually, I think that's what kind of, in some ways, you know, people want, which is, you know, in a world where actually it's hard to sort of, you know, work out what are the things we're prepared to wrap ourselves in, you know, in terms of, you know, questions about identity and politics and all the rest of it. Actually, you know, it's always been said that people do define themselves partially through the brands they buy, and that has been true for, for, for generations. And I think what's exciting now is there are now new stories emerging Absolutely. that are just, you know, I mean, put frankly kind of insane <laughs> and actually is good dinner party fodder it's the kind of thing you go oh yeah you know this salad's grown underground in the middle of clapham it's a bit like no no sorry can we start that conversation <laughs> again how many gin and tonics did i have you know it's, it's not it, it's you know i mean as you say it's like you know opens your mind to mm. what's possible and that's what's exciting but, but, we, need, it, but, but we do need to move away from novelty as well. yeah it's kind yeah. of completely it, it, it's it, to take the model from at the moment, we supply into the high-end retailers, and and the next step is to move to the more ubiquitous products and actually uh, and scale it in that way. That's when we can have some serious impact, Agreed. and when we start met, uh, uh, hitting that unit metric where we can actually reduce the cost of fresh produce. So that that's that the major goals for the business are to actually make it cheaper and more ubiquitous, so everybody out there's doing it. It's because not just for me. That's food. where government can help. Is is you need to be able to go on the high street, and it's got to be cheaper and better but much, much cheaper for you to go and buy an amazing bag of salad or or some nice stuff to go with that than a McDonald's. And until government helps us with that, it's going to be really difficult, I think. Um, And and they need, I I think that's where they can, you know, um, definitely uh, make a difference. And I think the sugar tax is interesting because I think that has made a bit of a difference in people's, you, you know, imagining. You but and that's where government does need to help. Nobody else can do that. You can, you can, you can nudge that with policy. You've seen it yeah. with the, 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 the bag taxes. We will see it with plastic packaging in the future, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it's just how far do you legislate? And, and legislation is mm. always kind of a bit of a blunt beast as well. So it, it, it is a challenge. So Well, legislation is last resort, <coughs> but, but I think we are on last resort if you look at the levels of obesity and diabetes and teeth extractions then but then we there there needs to be some some sort of government interference you staring at me to say shut up no no i think i think but there's also there needs for consumers also need to i think try and understand that quality costs money and i don't think you know yes we can chase the kind of cheapest sort of stuff and i think you know but we all talk about you know and you listen to the great you know butchers of the uk people like you know richard turner and people they will talk about you know it's not about eating meat Regular spending, eating really, really, really good. Ollie, when you're really, really skin, or you're, I totally know, know. it's hard. That's the last thing on your list of things. And some of those people, you know, having a really tough time, wouldn't even know what high end butcher was if indeed there was one in their locality. Um, I I can do that, you know, at my stage in life because I've, I've got enough money to do it. But. You know, I think it's those people are really struggling. That they need some help, and I think that's where government in intervention should should totally. That, that's its job. And there are different solutions for different ends of the market. Of and I think it's a question of, you know, trying to encourage people. You know, like you know, you take the numbers about thrown away bags of, you know, salad. Like because it's so cheap, you don't value it. Mm. You don't care that it goes off. So in some ways, there's this sort of tension that yeah. because because you know, look, that wastage thing is because 
you know, it's com- you know, the amount of money wasted on food is is, is eye watering. I, I think for many years there hasn't been an honest conversation about the the cost of food and the value of food. I, I've literally been in the middle of fields where they are packing iceberg lettuce at a price and they're putting the price on for the retailer and the price is lower f- than what they sell than what the retailer buys it for and so they're using it as a loss leader now that will always just drive down the cost of the product and, and, and drive down the quality though because people have a shortcut that's absolutely you know they'll they'll water it with sewage or whatever because they can't afford to do it all properly well, and that's, I, I think that's it just why adds we get challenges, challenges. but there is, there, 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 there's a necessity for an honest conversation i'm kind of hoping that the one of the positives that we may be able to take from Brexit is that we start to form an, uh, an agricultural policy where we can have an open and honest debate about the cost of food, but at the same time be mindful for the fact that not everyone can go to that high street butcher, etc., etc. I know you're not saying no. that, but we need to be... Mm. It, it, food can... And, and it annoys me because this is the space that I'm in, but it can be a very middle-class quality of food and, and, and you can end up having a conversation about what we should do. And it just completely misses people that are yeah, right absolutely. They're totally skinned. And, and that's what it, and I'm massively aware that we grow high end salads. And my aim is certainly to get to a market where I can drive the cost of that product out. Mm. And good for you. I'm just going to end on a really depressing note. Um, I went to uh, see the people at Mercato Metropolitano uh, the other week. They're gearing themselves up for the summer holidays there because there are literally tens of thousands of children who will be in food poverty over the summer because they're not getting school meals and they won't be eating properly at home. It's just, I'm oh, just so depressed about it. It's just such a worry. Um, anyway, sorry to end on that. No. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but we do need help. We do need to solve some of these problems. And I do think that local food is, 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 going, to be the, is going to be the answer. Yeah, and also people, you know, I think the whole education thing, you know, that you touched mm. on earlier about how to teach people that actually, you know, it's, it's not difficult to actually, you know, I mean, I, I, I had the pleasure of doing a Facebook Live the other day with Michael Keynes, who's, what, you know, in my opinion, one of the great chefs in Britain. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he made a really simple soup, which was basically a veg stock with some noodles and loads of veg thrown in. And it was phenomenal. Now, okay, he's a Michelin two-star chef who knows everything there is to know about food. But actually, you know, some of this stuff isn't that complicated. No, and no. it's just about, I think it's about getting the right dishes and inspiring people in the right way. And that, I think, is... You know, it's is, is a job for government, it's a job for retailers, it's a job for all of us. It's a job for schools as well, yeah. if they can try yeah. and... And I don't know at Mercato what they're doing <coughs> is, is doing a lot of cookery lessons for the schools, which which is which is great, That's with, right. you know, a bag of lentils that costs next to nothing and, and making an amazing meal just, just, just with that. But it's a lot of, lot, long way to go. Yes. Anyway, I'm going to move on from that rather depressing We're going to move positive, are we? Uh, yes. So, Stephen Dring of Growing Underground. If you want to find out more about this amazing, amazing thing, look look at the video stuff as well. It's growing-underground.com. Have I got that right, Stephen? Absolutely. Yeah, great stuff. Um, and look out for that uh, label, um, and then we can help uh, perpetuate some of the uh, amazing That's stuff that's going underneath the streets of Clapham. And thank you again so much, Susie Walker of the Primal Pantry. Um, I'm always seeing your stuff out and about. I do do a little bit of cycling, not as much as Ollie, so it's something I do grab. You're a bit of a fan, aren't you? I am, I am. You're, you're, yeah. there you go, look. See, look how, look how fit and healthy he <laughs> looks based on your Primal Pantry. Um, and if you want to find out about Primal Pantry, it's exactly as it uh, sounds as it's spelled, primalpantry.com. And basically you can find them anywhere now. 
Pretty much. Um, Pretty yeah, much. hopefully. C- certainly in town. Certainly, certainly in London. Yeah. Um, yeah. And maybe the, the major cities across the UK. So thank you very much to Susie Walker thank and Stephen Dring for joining us. And uh, yeah, you've been listening to the Food Talk Show, which is available, well, just about everywhere. And you can listen to us on the podcast app, iTunes, Podbean, various radio stations, da, da, da. Thank you to my fellow presenter, Ollie Lloyd of Great British Chefs. Great to be here. Yeah. Any nice any quick, too. very very quick update on Great British Chefs? How's your cookery book going? The most exciting thing we saw the proofs yesterday of the cookbook. Have you? I've put my name down for that. Oh I've my word. paid for it. Yeah, we'll come to you eventually. No, but um, do you, <laughs> you make people pay before it's even well, it's there? Well, it's Kickstarter. We yeah. funded it through Kickstarter for okay. a laugh. And um, yes, we saw the proofs yesterday, and they Looking will be. Good. They, they look amazing. I mean, Great. you know, 60 chefs, 120 recipes. It's beautiful. I'm, beautiful. I'm looking forward to getting my copy. Um, if you haven't got yours signed up, then you need to... Can, can people still buy them People now? can still buy yeah. them. It's going to be available on Amazon from August. It's going to be... Great cool. British Chefs. Go on the website. Um, and if you want to recommend any future guests, someone, somebody who's doing something groundbreaking in the food sector, please do get in touch with us via Twitter on at Food Talk Show. Or if you want to listen to any of our hundreds of podcasts, go to foodtalk.co.uk. Have a good week. Bye. Thank you.